Blog Talk Radio. Hello out there. This is Sam Maxwell, and welcome to the Bedford and Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the research process of the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series I'm developing. And I have to say, we got up uh, a little bit to a hiccup uh, this morning, but we're getting off at 1030 with uh, one of my favorite guests to have on this program, and that's Mr. Carl Erskine, Dodgers pitcher from those years. How you doing, Doc? Uh, how hey, you doing, Carl? Good morning, Sam. Well, I tell you, it's pretty cold in Indiana. I, I like to think baseball today because if I look outside, I see about eight inches of snow. Right, right, exactly. And uh, it is that time of year where there's a lot of snow being piled on, uh, but you know that spring training is, is right around the corner. It's less than a month till pitchers and catchers report, and that is a very, very exciting time. Uh, now, Carl, I, I know that you and I, uh, weren't able to really talk too much of it before this one, but I just wanted to go over some some of the players, and I think we were focused on 1952, and just get get a little uh, uh, tidbits and, and information from you uh, regarding some of these people. Oh yeah, well, I you know I soaked up a lot of my uh, memories from those days because I was so thankful to be on that team, and we were a winning team. We were always contending. We didn't always win, but we won a lot of uh, National League championships and finally won World Series in 55. But the 52 team, uh, the players of that team felt like it was one of the best teams that that uh, Boys of Summer group had, 52 and 53. Uh, ironically, we didn't win the series in either one of those years. <clears throat> in 55, <clears throat> we had a different mix, and uh, a couple of new rookies had come in to to help us, uh, Roger Craig, uh, Don Bessant, uh, but uh, 52, yeah, I'm happy to speak about that team. Oh, excellent. I'm going to start with somebody who became a Hall of Fame manager in his own right, uh, and that's Dick Williams. Dick Williams was uh, had a few years with the Dodgers. Uh, what do you remember about Dick? Well, I actually played with Dick Williams at Fort Worth, Texas, uh, in the Double A leg uh, with the Dodgers affiliate before we were together in Brooklyn. Uh, Dick Williams was one of those uh, frustrated players because he was good enough to be a big leaguer, but he wasn't deemed good enough to be a starter. Uh, but he was so versatile. And in fact, in Fort Worth, uh, he was so uh, talented in so many ways that he did one of the things that baseball players occasionally do. On a Sunday afternoon at the end of the season, they let him play one inning at each position and uh, even pitch. So uh, Dick Dick was a talented guy, but he, he was one of those those borderline players that could fill in for anybody in a, on a game or two. But the managers I played for, uh, four different ones, they never saw Dick as a starter. Uh, plus, he had a brilliant mind. He, he was a, quite a kidder. And he could memorize stuff. And on bus trips and uh, and uh, sometimes in the clubhouse, uh, Dick was always uh, kind of on stage with uh, with his uh, antics. <clears throat> and then he pulled one of the slickest uh, one of the slickest plays in baseball history in the World Series. Uh, he was managing Oakland, and Raleigh Fingers was pitching in a critical spot to Johnny Bench, and uh, the count was three and two. And he went out and talked to Fingers and on the mound, and first base was open. And so uh, when he went back to the dugout, uh, the catcher stood up and held 
his uh, glove, his hand outside, like we're going to put this guy on. But fingers threw a strike, and Bench took it for <laughs> strike three. I mean, that's that's a little league play, but right, but Dick right, Williams, exactly. Dick Williams had this this broad mind, uh, and he he would take a guy like him who was who was kind of a, a kidder and a a trickster, and <laughs> and who would have ever pulled that in the World Series? But uh, he became a good manager, and I I've never really got close to Dick too much after he became a manager. But he and I were, were very good friends as uh, teammates, and uh, and I was not surprised when he became a very good manager because uh, he had this uh, mind that was always cranking, he was always thinking, and and he was always kind of thinking differently than the standard by the book. And um, well, anyway, that, that's my memory of Dick Williams. Now I see, you know, he he didn't hit uh, terribly good for the Dodgers, except for 1952 when he hit 309. Uh, in a part-time role with a 3.29 on-base percentage and a 3.97 slugging, and a 3.97 slugging is pretty good. Um, so, what, is there any specific memory that you remember during the regular season with uh, uh, 1952 and Dick Williams? It'd be hard for me to pick one one spot. He often subbed in left field. That was mm-hmm. the place we had the hardest time finding the solid uh, everyday player. Uh, to play in the outfield along Duke Snyder in center and Frillo in right, uh, we we always had a little trouble finding that same solid selection in left field. So Dick Williams was one of many who played uh, that position for us. And uh, as I say now, to his credit, uh, I played with a lot of guys that were uh, bench players who were miserable and they spoke out a lot on the bench and they were grumbling and they were always unhappy and trade me or play me. Uh, Dick Williams, I never heard make any rumbles on the bench. He he knew his role, and he seemed to be comfortable in that role, and he kept everybody kind of loose. He he wasn't a negative guy at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a tough role to play, is uh, being almost good enough uh, in the manager's mind, but but not quite. And uh, and that was Dick's role as a player. But I'm I'm glad you pointed out his numbers in '52 because. Uh, he was a major league uh, caliber player, and he just never was a, uh, well, let's face it, that Brooklyn lineup was tough to break into. Uh, yeah. There were a lot of guys in the minors that kept having good years, but they couldn't replace Reese or Hodges or Campanella. <laughs> right. They just stayed in the minors. So, uh, but Dick, Dick was a quality player. So you actually uh, you look at some of the numbers that he picked up later in his career, and he actually became a, a pretty solid starter. I'm unsure. Actually, you know, I don't know whether he started. I don't know too much about his career, but he was able to collect, uh, you know, 400 to 500 at bats uh, consistently throughout uh, the middle of, of the tail end of the 50s and 60s and the beginning yeah, of the 50s, well, uh, 60s. That kind of uh, that kind of points up my point of. of on the Dodgers, it's one thing to be a starter, but if you're playing for another team, uh, that caliber of uh, Dick Williams had uh, would make him a starter. Yep. But, uh, but that talented team in Brooklyn uh, was tough to break in the lineup. That's for sure. And, and let's uh, move on to somebody else. Uh, I'm going to go to George Shuba here. What do you remember about George, uh, George Shuba? George Shuba was a, what I call a pure hitter. Uh, he didn't necessarily have to take batting practice, he, he, although he did, plenty of it. But he just had a natural stroke. Uh, 
and a good eye. He, he hits. Uh, he didn't swing at bad pitches. Uh, and so we know we know Shuba. His strength was with the bat. Uh, he was not a fast runner. Uh, he was average, and he was not uh, really. Uh, he was a little suspect with a glove uh, in, in the big league level. But uh, he was adequate in in those positions because he did play. But he would have been the perfect uh, designated hitter, uh, where he only had to concentrate on the on the bat. But Shuba was a good team player. He was uh, again. He was a good spirited guy. Uh, the the story I remember about Shuba was my first day in the big leagues. Uh, I joined a team uh, from uh, Fort Worth, Texas, in the middle of the season, uh, July 25th, 1948, in Pittsburgh. And uh, so they put me in the bullpen. That was my first day in the big leagues. They put me in the bullpen, and it was kind of a wild game, and uh, they had two or three pitching changes. They finally brought me in uh, in the eighth inning, I think, uh, with a couple men on, and um, and I, I, I faced Kiner. Uh, I don't think he was the first hitter, but maybe the second. And I uh, faced Kiner, and uh, he hits a, a sinking line drive to left field, and Shuba was playing left field. And Shuba makes his uh, shoestring catch and doubles Johnny Hop off of first base to uh, get us out of the inning. So we came in and scored runs in the next inning, and I ended up getting a win. So years passed, and I was at some baseball function, which uh, Shuba was there. And I didn't see him too often in those days. But I went over to George. I said, hey, George, did I ever thank you for making that uh, shoestring catch in left field off of Kiner? You got me my first big league win. And Shuba looked at me and smiled, and he said, I trapped the ball. <laughs> exactly. Now, whether he did or not. I remember not, that story. That was kind of an indication that Shuba was a little bit of a kidder himself. But um, as I said, his trademark was uh, his bat. And George, we always said, could, he was one of the guys that, if you think about uh, sports, uh, a hitter, a, a pinch hitter, is usually not used till late in the game. So he's already had his uh, workout. He's already loosened up. He's already, now mm-hmm. he's, he's been sitting on the bench for seven or eight innings, and he gets called on to pinch hit. Well, in our day, my day, there was no way to actually warm up. Uh, or there was a runway that came to the, into the dugout under the stands. But it was, it was narrow. And now today stadiums are built to have batting cages down below, and, and a guy can mm-hmm. go down and take swings and, and be ready. But George could come off the bench, cold turkey, and uh, I know as a pitcher, if you uh, pitch to a hitter, a pitch hitter late in the game, uh, the thing you want to give him is is hard stuff. You, don't give him any soft stuff. He he's up there. He hadn't had any swings. Uh, the theory at that time was, and it usually worked. Uh, if a guy comes off the bench, uh, you give him hard stuff. Don't don't soften up anything. And that was the way uh, I used to pitch to pinch hitters, and with success. Now, Shuba was just the opposite. You couldn't throw him a good strike on the first pitch, or he'd have a rip and uh, and <laughs> get a hit out of it. I'm not sure I remember records, but he had a couple pinch hit home runs in the World Series, uh, if I remember right. I uh, he he had he had a few pinch hit home runs. <clears throat> so George was. Uh, was this valuable uh, player who didn't play a lot of regular either. He wasn't a regular starter. He did start some against certain pitchers. Mm. But uh, but as a manager, 
And when you look down the bench and you needed a pinch hitter, uh, particularly uh, against a right-handed pitcher, uh, Shuba was was a great choice. So George uh, George is still living. He lives in Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, He has uh, some really bad problems with his hearing, but his son is a very faithful uh, companion of George's. And I hear from him occasionally, and he's one of the boys of summer. He was one of the players that Roger Kahn wrote about. Uh, His nickname was Shotgun. I don't know where that came from, but his big years in the minors were in Mobile, Alabama. Now, in the Dodgers system, if you uh, were going to get an option uh, to some minor league part of the Dodgers system, you'd say, please not Mobile. It was hot. It was humid. It was double A. Uh, it was a good league. But uh, most players didn't like to go to Mobile. But if you mm-hmm. asked Yuba, what was your favorite city to play in? <laughs> he had some big years in Mobile. <laughs> He's going to tell you Mobile, Alabama, was where he uh, where he loved to play. They probably still very. I'll, I'll bet your people in Mobile still remember George Shuba. I want to, I want to see what the team the team's name was uh, in Mobile. That's what I'm uh, that's what I'm trying to check right now. Mobile was in the southern. The Mobile the Mobile Bears. Bears it looks that's like right right that's true. Uh, yeah, in nineteen fifty. In 1952, he had a fantastic, uh, fantastic batting average off the bench. 305 on base percentage was 395, and he was able to collect 294 at bats that year. And that, that's his, that's uh, his best year. He was actually yeah. 31st in the MVP in the MVP uh, voting, actually, which is interesting. That is interesting. Well, as I say, Shuba had a strength that was uh, very obvious. You know, they 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 phrase things today a little different than they used to. They talk about how many tools a player has. Uh, we didn't hear it in that same um, in that same language. But when you look at a player like Mays, you'd say he had all the tools. You know, he'd beat you with his legs, his glove, his bat, his arm. Uh, he, Mays was the complete player. Uh, Shuba was one of those major league players that didn't have all five or all four or five. But what he had was good enough to keep him in the big leagues. And uh, I don't want to give the impression he was uh, terrible in the other play. He, he was just not above average. Uh, but when you say that about a big leaguer, you're still talking about a guy that <laughs> has a lot of skills. So Shuba was uh, cataloged in everybody's mind. Is, uh, he could get up at uh, 3 a.m. with his eyes shut and get a base hit uh, because he was a pure hitter. Exactly. I'm going to go to Gil Hodges now. Gil Hodges. Oh, yeah, that's my buddy, my Indiana buddy. The same guy that signed me had signed Gil Hodges two years before me. His name was Stanley Fiesel. He was a scout, a uh, Big Ten official, but a part-time uh, Dodger scout. Uh, but Gil Hodges uh, grew up and uh, born in uh, Princeton, I think, Indiana, uh, was raised in Petersburg, and they both claim him, naturally. But... Uh, <laughs> Hodge's uh, dad was a coal miner in southern Indiana. And um, uh, Gil, uh, of course, went to college, which was a little unusual in my day. A lot of players didn't have any college uh, education uh, in my era. But Gil, uh, I don't know if he graduated, but he went to to St. Joseph's College, and I think he he also went to Valparaiso uh, a short time. And Gil was a basketball player 
his size. He was a tall guy, big, uh, handsome-looking guy, uh, a quiet man, uh, no nothing uh, boisterous about him. But uh, Hodges had a great needle. Uh, he had a quiet way of giving you a jab, and uh, <laughs> and it was it was interesting how he he could, he was smart. He was a real smart baseball man. And none of us, I bet if we had taken a poll on the Dodgers in the 52, uh, do you think Hodges will ever be a big league manager? Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no. Gil couldn't say boo to anybody. He he could. He wouldn't argue with an umpire. In fact, uh, Charlie Dressen got so upset with Hodges that on close plays at first base, uh, Gil would never argue with the umpire who's standing right by him. And it'd be a, an obvious blown play at first base in which we uh, would see the runner call safe when it looked he was obviously out. And Hodges would not argue. So Dressen said to Hodges one day in a meeting, look, Gil, if you will one time in your life get thrown out of a game for arguing with an umpire, I'll give you 100 bucks." Well, it never happened. Hodges never, he never was a, a baby for umpire. But he would drive opposing managers crazy with a some kind of a thing he learned on his own. On a close play, the umpire cannot see the ball and also see the foot of mm-hmm. the runners hitting the bag. So he has to depend on seeing the runner uh, runner's hit, foot hit the bag and listening for the ball to hit the fielder's glove, the first baseman's glove. And so Hodges had this uncanny little move that he could steal a play so slick if it was close he could steal that play and i remember mayo smith of the phillies used to just come out of the dugout and do hand flips he it was crazy hodges hodges could just steal that play so slick and uh so I, he was very very fine uh glove man just extremely uh talented with the glove uh, and uh, so anyway hodges is a hall of famer and he's right. got to make it sooner or later. He just—he's just too much of a, a piece of that history. And uh, you know, they said Pee Wee made the Hall of Fame because he was a long-time fine player, and he also played alongside Jackie Robinson. That's kind of the credentials when they talk about Pee Wee. Well, let me tell you, Gil Hodges played alongside Jackie too on the other side, and he was a peacemaker. In those early years when confrontations could break out real easy with Jackie around second base, hard slides uh, and all that. And Hodges was quick to be down there pulling guys off the pile, and, mm-hmm. and guys respected Gill so much, uh, nobody ever threatened Hodges because he's the biggest guy on the field. But, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but he was also a very, very supportive and important person in the role of Jackie's success. And they make a lot to do about Pee Wee putting his arm on on uh, Jackie's shoulder <clears throat> when he was being booed in Cincinnati the first year. Uh, Hodges, uh, there's no uh, there's no record that shows how Hodges uh, pulled guys off the pile at second and kept a uh, peaceful uh, event going on instead of mm-hmm. guys flailing away down there because there could have been some real fist fights around second base. I mean. It, the level of consistency he had for the majority of the career, being one of the top first basemen offensively and defensively, right. uh, automatically says that as a player, he, and especially for the guidelines that were going on at the time, 
you know, it, it is unacceptable for the reason you're not letting Gil Hodges into the Hall of Fame. And, and this was, you know, during the 15-year period. Uh, they said that we've let so many, uh, there, there's so many already uh, of that team already in there. Like, yeah, why is I've that an that. excuse? Why is I've that an excuse? That's a poor excuse. But, uh, well, some American leaguers, they, they've, they've changed the makeup of the uh, the Veterans Committee uh, a couple, three times. They've changed the ground rules. Uh, years ago, though, when Gil was being voted on, Campanella was a member of the uh, team, along with Buddy Bavese, who'd been our general manager. But there were American League players on the uh, committee, including Ted Williams, who the, the word has come down anyway, uh, true or not, it's, it's the way it's been uh, reported, that uh, Campanella uh, could not come to a meeting. He was in a wheelchair, he'd been injured, and, uh, but he wanted to vote, and he sent his vote in uh, by ballot. And uh, the, somehow the rules at that time uh, seemed to be, or at least there was an objection, that you couldn't count Campy's uh, vote because he wasn't present. And supposedly that vote at that time, that year, which would have been uh, probably back in the 60s, uh, were, uh, uh, was the vote he needed. And it was that close, but they wouldn't count Campy's vote. Um, Buzzy Vivese, who's deceased now, uh, also contended that Williams was very outspoken for the very reason you just mentioned. It's, uh, what are we trying to do, get the whole team in uh, the Hall of Fame? And so he was negative about letting Hodges in. Uh, and you mentioned something quickly there, Sam, that inconsistent. Yeah, Gil, one of the things Gil did, it was such a mystery. Uh, he took a lot of third strikes. Uh, one year, uh, he if I remember all my stats right, one year he he took a third strike. Uh, see, and one year he struck out uh, X number of times, but 70% of the times he struck out were, were taking pitches. He, he took the pitch. And um, and we used to get on Gil uh, to argue it to the umpire uh, behind the plate. Uh, he's calling you out on good on uh, bad pitches, but wait, you can see high and low from the dugout. Well, a real low pitch, he calls strike three on Hodges, and he would, he'd just walk away and come to the bench, put his, <laughs> hat, put his bat down quietly, put his uh, helmet down quietly. And the guys, so one day in Chicago, uh, but Dusty Bodges was behind the home plate in Chicago. He called Gill out on a terrible high pitch. I mean, it was really bad. And Gill never said a word. He came back to the bench, put his head down. And, my God, the, the, the bench got on him. They said, Gill, my God, the, this guy's taking the bread and butter out of your kid's mouth. I mean, he, he's killing you. And uh, so Gill took it for a while, and, and finally... They said, well, say something to him. Don't, don't just walk away. Say something to him. So Gil said, okay, the next time I'm up at the plate, I'm not even going to ask Dusty how his wife and kids are. <laughs> that, that, was Gil's, that was Gil's way of saying, I'm going to give him a blast. Right. The umpire's the umpire like, why isn't Gil talking to me? Yeah. So he was, he was a very passive player, but he was a very, very tough guy. Uh, quietly, but he was tough. Um, Gill later, of course, became a manager. If you talk to Tom Seavers uh, or somebody that played for Gill with the Mets, mm-hmm. they said, well, you know, Gill, Gill didn't say a lot. He didn't scream. He didn't throw uh, uh, stools in the clubhouse. But by golly, if you if you had violated something, you'd missed a sign or you'd done some bonehead play, 
uh, Hodges could give you a look, and he'd give you a couple of words. Now, that's the way Pee Wee was. Pee Wee was a captain of our team. And maybe Gil picked up on how Pee Wee handled things. I don't know. But Pee Wee, would, he, could, he could frost you really good. He could burn your shorts off without actually ranting and using profanity or yelling at you. He could make a young player understand, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> well, there, there's a famous story in Mess Lord where uh, Cleon Jones kind of dogs it in the outfield, uh, and Gil Hodges slowly walks all the way out there to get him. To, to bring him back <laughs> into the dugout, and, and Cleon had Cleon, uh, you know, tore it up and never dogged it again after that. Right. Well, that was his style, and he was a very smart player too. He could he stole a lot of signs at first base. He he'd always be looking for the opposing. Uh, he, he watched. He watched everything, and he was real good at stealing the, the bunt sign because. Uh, that made Gill then very aggressive when he knew the team was bunting. Uh, he could charge charge with no uh, fear of uh, of uh, messing up because he learned and he'd come over during a ball game and I'd be pitching or whoever was pitching uh, and he had gotten a sign that uh, there was going to be a bunt uh, bunting order. Uh, he'd come over to the pitcher and he'd say, "Don't come over." In other words, he's saying, "Don't." wheel around there and try to surprise the hitter by pitcher, uh, excuse me, by the base runner trying to surprise him with a, a throw. Don't come over, he'd say, which meant he was going to be charging the hitter because the bunt was in order. And he he was just very, very astute uh, in that way. So uh, that proved to be uh, his success as a manager. He didn't miss much. And uh, if you remember the uh, incident when uh, – the ball was hit off of, uh, might have been Cleon Jones even, but he uh, fouled the ball down and, uh, and they call it, they call it a fair ball. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hodges uh, produced a, the ball to show there was a shoe polish on the ball. It actually hit, uh, I think it was Cleon Jones' foot. So they reversed so. The, reversed the call. Who was that? No, I, I think you're right that it was Cleon Jones. Yeah, well, uh, the well, shoe yeah, polish. How many managers would? And, and of course he was convincing. <laughs> And, and Gil had a lot of respect uh, in the league uh, by the by the umpire and by uh, by the umpires and by the uh, opposing players. Now uh, it was Cleon, by the way. It was Cleon. It was yeah. Uh, now here's an interesting thing. I played in Brooklyn ten seasons, and I don't care how popular you were. I uh, I think I think I might have even heard Pee Wee boo. At one time or another, <laughs> he, was, he was beloved. He was beloved in Brooklyn. And but if you played bad, the you know if you're in love with somebody, you, sometimes you can say some pretty strong things to them. Right. <laughs> in a love affair. Well, there was a love affair with the with the Dodger fans and their players. But if you played bad or you goofed up, they they weren't bashful, and their stands were close, and you could hear them real easy, and and they would boo you, and I got booed. Uh, coming in, walking two guys, uh, walk and run in or something, and my guys, they say, you know, get rid of, take it straight into the Giants. That was the worst thing they could say to you. But, uh, but Hodges, to my knowledge, and to anybody else I've ever played with, never heard Hodges booed in Brooklyn, and he had some bad stretches. Remember, he went over 21, I think, in a World Series, uh, and and he had some other. Uh, 
some other dry spells in there. But the fans in Brooklyn were able to catch the sincerity and the genuineness of Hodges, and they never booed him, uh, even when he had a bad day. I think that speaks a lot for uh, the fans, but also uh, how much respected Gil Hodges was. Yeah, and uh, going back to that that strikeout, um, uh, I was looking at his strikeouts, and he never struck out uh, more than 100 times in any year, and the highest he ever it ever was was in 1951 when he struck out 99 times and led the league there. Uh, that that was uh, that was the highest he ever got. Well, I think that's the year that they said of the strikeouts, 70 of them were taken. I think <laughs> 70 out of the 99 were taken third strikes. Now you can look that up somewhere, but uh, as I recall, the story was that he struck out 100 times and 70 of them were uh, taken strikes. And and that was Gil. He he had a blind spot sort of on the outside uh, part of the plate, and that's where uh, that's where he'd take the pitch, thinking it was outside, and it'd be called strike three. That's that's amazing. Now, um, I'd like to end uh, with Gil Hodges and what you remember about what they call the, uh, I believe it's called the the streak, or um, uh, I, I, maybe you can help me out here, but but it's that that slump, the slump. That was it, the slump. Uh, with Gil Hodges and, and uh, a little bit about that. Well, the thing I remember about that was that we all saw it happening. We all realized that all players go through, uh, pitchers or hitters go through down times. Uh, Hodges, then they often said, well, when a guy's not hitting, his fielding is also affected. Not with Hodges. Not, not with Hodges. His fielding was brilliant during that stretch of uh, having a tough time at the plate. He took extra batting practice. He tried. He worked hard at everything. But his fielding never faltered. Oh, that's great. And it ended with uh, the famous, uh, the minister praying to God in front of his congregation for yeah. the slump to be over. Right. Well, so, it, it, you know. it did. And, and you know what? That afternoon, I think Gil got two hits. And... Yeah. Uh, I said, I always told Gil, I said, I'm a, I'm a good Baptist, but I'm telling you, that Catholic faith showed me something there. <laughs> <laughs> well, with, with that, Carl, excuse me, uh, I, I wish you a fantastic weekend. Uh, um, Happy New Year, uh, belatedly. You bet. And well, uh, you're you. always welcome back on. To, uh, we we well, can go on. We can talk about this stuff forever. Well, you know what? I, I admire you for capturing, for history's sake, a tremendous era for baseball and for some of the greatest players, not just baseball players, but uh, personalities and uh, character of the men I played with on that uh, Brooklyn Dodger 1952 team and, in fact, all the way through the 50s. So uh, for you to preserve some of that and uh, and, and invite me in, I, I truly appreciate it. Thank you, Carl. That's our show, everybody. Have a good one. Take care. <laughs>